Welcome to CX Leadership Talks, where we dive deep into the world of customer experience and CX leadership with industry experts and thought leaders. And in this episode, I am so excited. It's titled CX Culture Reimagined, Learning from Diamond in the Rough. And I am joined by the renowned CX enthusiast, Steven van Belgen. Together, we explore in which organizations and how they can improve customer satisfaction without additional or maybe even a little budget and share practical insights for reshaping CX culture, all based on his brilliant new book. The conversation sheds light on the challenges they're faced by you and all of those CX leaders around that. And they could really use some support from top management um, because it is important that the significance of leaders should be emphasized uh, and they should be truly committed and you have a role in that and we explore in this conversation. We have a wide range of discussions ranging from the power of networking, impactful storytelling, yes, and the importance of making customer experience easy and emotionally engaging. That is not new, but something that I got out of it, which I somehow knew but was emphasized, is that going friction hunting both makes CX better for customers and employees, but also grows your CX authority. Well, grab a beverage, sit back, ride in your car, maybe on a bike, walk, are in the gym, but be prepared to be inspired as we uncover the gems of CX culture and your role in that as a CX leader. In the age of the customer, many companies and organizations fall short in meeting the needs and wants of their customers, let alone exceeding them. And it's time to change that. Welcome to CX Leadership Talks. Our passion is to be a catalyst for you and your organization as a customer experience leader to help understand, design, and improve experiences across the entire customer journey and the customer lifetime. It's time to spice up your CX leadership, and we've got the pro who's going to talk you through it. This is CX Leadership Talks, and now your host, Ninka Bloom. So, hello. We have an incredible, yeah, like a famous guest on the show, I should say, <laughs> Stefan. Hey, Ninka. Thanks for having um, me. It's a pleasure. Yes. It's, uh, it's great. We have a, a Dutch and a Belgium in the room, well, mm -hmm. in, the, in the recording room. And, um, well, I think I learned about you already when I was working at KPN uh, and, of course, being a speaker myself, uh, being in the audience. We even shared the stage, I think, three we times. Did. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I think the one our skill set fix, fixes very well together. I think yeah. can, companies can hire us both, and people will yeah. hear a similar voice, but different messages, yeah. different approach. So, yeah, no worry Up to till, uh, both of us at the same time. Up till this book, I I used to say, Stephen is like the speaker. He takes you into the why and the future of CX, and then you'll all be confused. And then you, because he really <laughs> shapes you and he will get you into that, like, we need to change. That is the sense of urgency. He brings to the room with all kinds of examples all around the world. But then you need somebody who, who is the how lady. So that doesn't go about anymore since you've written this. But um, are we competitors? So, are we competitors now, Nika? Is that is that definitely not? Definitely not. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I'm very happy that you wrote this book. Um, because I think that this needs to be addressed. And it's something that I've been saying a long time, but it helps when mm -hmm. an authority like you and makes it practical with the way that you address it. So I think uh, for all the CX professionals out there, we are very, very happy that this book from you is here, um, helping us on the customer-centric culture. And for people that are listening and are thinking, 
who is David van Bellegem? You might not know him, but there are some people somewhere on the world that have not met you. If you introduce yourself to the room, Stephen, what, what, what do you say? I usually say that I'm a CX enthusiast. I'm, I'm passionate about customer experience. It's, it's, it, it's not difficult for me to get enthusiastic about it. It's just who I am. It's what I've been doing my entire career. I've been studying consumer behavior, um, usually linked to technology. Um, started in 2000 as a partner in a, in a business school. Then I became a market researcher in a, in a small startup that grew into a, a larger company called Insights Consulting. And every time I was studying how consumers are dealing with the internet and with social media, with mobile, and, and I kept doing that. So if you ask me what I do is I, I create content about customer experience and I share it with the world through my books, through my social channels, keynotes with a very simple goal, trying to inspire everyone who listens to act in a more customer centric way as from tomorrow. That's, that's what I try to do. How, how are you, you, you try to do that, but how are you succeeding? Well, I, I think I have the pleasure of having a, a wide audience. Uh, until now, my, my book's done, done pretty well. I'm very thankful for that. My social channels have quite some reach. And I speak to thousands of people around the world every, every year. So I think I reach a lot of people um, with my stories. And I think that I can combine strategy and being pragmatic. And that really engages people to, to you know, change their behavior. I think, I think what I can do best is make people excited and having the eager, having the willingness to change their behavior and, and be more customer centric. I think that's what I'm good yeah. at. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think what I like about when, when I look at all the books, I've got them all in my, in my library here next to me. And I think especially now we're talking about this one. So um, I thought I'll, I'll pick this one now. But <laughs> what, I, what I liked and that you in all of your books, you have so many uh, best practices and uh, well, also worst practices, but most of them and are the most of them positive, best practices, the positive yeah. bite. Yeah. And I also like what you can do really well. What I think a lot of CX leaders that are listening now can learn from is your framing, the way that you bring messages into the world. One of the first that I think that that I still remember is the one door or the two door changes that you ordered. The, well. I don't know if it's the one door, one door or policy the, or two. Yeah. 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 So I, I and uh, what I like in, in the book now is, for example, the Top Gun effect. You have a really nice way of, well, sharing a concept and giving it a, a, a name so people will understand and can bring it further. So I think that that's well done. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate yeah. that. Thank you. Yeah. So that's also, I think, uh, I, I just looked it up. You have 54,000 people following you on LinkedIn. Yes. Incredible. <laughs> yes. And then your YouTube channel. And I, I also think you're very consistent. So for everybody and the people that are listening know that his LinkedIn, uh, but also the YouTube channel, I will put it all in the show notes so you can all reach out. Um, when you look at all those channels, creating this content as, a, as an entrepreneur, I know it's not easy. So mm -hmm. of course, there's also entrepreneurs listening. What is it? What's the secret? Of, of doing that in a consistent way, you mean? Yeah. I've, yeah, well, I, I started doing YouTube in, I think, 2014, 2015. And in the beginning, it was a complete disaster. Um, no one watched the videos. I was, of course, thinking that I was making the best videos in the world. I thought this is the message that everyone is waiting for. And then 81 people watched the video or so. 
probably my mom like 10 times and then my friends a couple of times. So I, I barely had any reach. But I, I've, I wrote a book on social media. The, my first two books were on social media where okay. I actually urged people that you need to continue uh, that you need to understand that it takes time to build an audience. Yeah. So I was like, I, I cannot stop myself. I mean, I'm going to lose all my credibility if I give up after three months of, of trying. So I kept doing it. And then after a while, you know, you, you get better, you start to understand what works and doesn't work. And then you see that people start to react and appreciate it. And you start to build a community and, and then it motivates to, to continue. Um, what I see now, my, my, most important part of my business is speaking. Uh, I, I really yeah. love being on a stage and, and sharing my ideas. That's, that's the core of what I do. If I look on, at, at how my business approaches me, how I, how I find new business opportunities, majority is word of mouth. Uh, people see you somewhere, it must be the same with you. Uh, people see yeah. you, they get excited, they invite you back or they change jobs and they invite you back. So you have the network that was physically exposed to your, to your skills. And that leads to new business. But a second channel that is crucial for me is actually YouTube more than any other social network. Um, usually if you follow someone on Instagram, they already know you. So you have your community of yeah. people that know you, but on YouTube is the second largest search machine in the world after Google. So a lot of people go to go to YouTube and type in customer experience plus something else. Um, yeah. and I, I made it my goal that if you type in that, if you type in customer experience, that wherever you are in the world, you should find at least one of my videos. And I think that's working fine. And then I see that every week I get emails from people saying, oh, I saw this video. I didn't know you, but I was intrigued by it. Can we talk? Yeah. Maybe we can, maybe we can do something for us. So it's, it's next to branding for me. It's also really a sales yeah. channel to, to share that. Yeah, I fully And, and you know, the, really the like fact it, that yeah. you, the, the fact that you force yourself to make content and that you promise your audience to make a video every month. It has this enormous benefit. It means that every month you have to come up with new content. Every month you have to have new stuff ready that you can share. So it, it's, it's like an external driver of, of reinventing yourself over and over again. So for me, it's a motivation yeah. to increase my quality even. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I have it with my, um, we have a weekly YouTube, but it's small right now. I'm really doing small tips for leaders. Um, and I just keep mm -hmm. going. Um, we hired now somebody to do the SEO because somehow we're, we're doing that something not so smart, but it's very interesting to see how that works. And then suddenly I had 200 extra followers where they came from. I still don't know. So I need a, I need to see if they are the real deal, but we, we're really building it. And, and what I like about you and, and we have a monthly newsletter, which is, it really forces you to bring content to the world and to take a standpoint. Exactly. Yeah, but it is it is hard work for everybody out there that is an entrepreneur is. that knows it is hard, especially in the months like that we had, because now we're taping this at the, um, looking at 18th of December for everybody. Um, it's the end of the season. It's been very busy, but you also need to deliver while you are busy. So it's, yeah, it's... um. It's a commitment, but hey, let's go to it your is, newest yeah, book. <laughs> First of all, okay. congratulations. Well, you see that I'm working in it, right? So I decided to I take see, the same I love color that. as... I love uh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the way I work. That's <laughs> why I also always want my business books to have them physical because I had the luxurious position that you asked me to read it before you uh, got it out there. And um, I felt I felt honored. And also I I, I read it in, in, the, in the plane and... Um, when I was flying, I think back from the Philippines and I was like, 
I think I was like nodding my head all the time because the lady from <laughs> KLM, she came to me, she's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm reading a book. And I think it's like all these yes moments that are in there. And she was like, okay, can I see it? And I said, well, it's a PDF and it's, 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 you cannot see it because it's, it's still secret. It's not, it's not published yet. And she was like, I, I want to know which one it is. So I put it on a paper. I don't know if she ordered it, but yeah. So, no, but yeah, for me, nice story. Um, for the people that are listening, where, how does, where does it book happen? Like uh, you've been all around the world. You've seen the best and the worst. Was there like a pivotal moment that sparked the idea for this book or how did it work? There are a number of things. Um, it, it, the book is called The Diamond in the Rough uh, and it uses the metaphor of how you can change yourself from a rough diamond into a beautiful, shiny jewel. Um, and, and actually, I got the metaphor from my oldest son. Uh, you saw that in the book, Nika. Yeah. He, he wrote yeah. the foreword. He's 14. Yeah, it's really, really great, including the picture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was fun. And, and he came to me one day and he told me this story about, he's always looking on TikTok and YouTube shorts. Um, there we go. In, into, there they are. <laughs> In, in, into science, you know, he wants to learn everything there is about science. So he came to me and he always shares his new insights. So he said, I saw this video on how, how diamonds were formed. And he started to explain that to me. And I said, wow, this is exactly the metaphor I need. Uh, so I threw it in a PowerPoint that I was working on, tried it with my next customer and, and people really, you know, enjoyed it. So I thought, hey, this is, this is the metaphor I will use. But I was working on something else before that. I, I was working on what, what you're so good at, Ninka, the, the how question. Because you're absolutely right. Huh? When, when I give a typical presentation, people get excited. But then the next question I always get is, how do we start, Stephen? Yeah. How can we start doing this? We follow you. We believe you. But we don't know where to start. And this was the number one question for the last three, four years. So I thought, you know what? This is apparently something that everyone is looking into. I've been in this field for more than 20 years. So I'm going to write down everything I've seen and heard. I'm going to write down every lesson and tip I've seen in the past 20 years and throw that in a book. I just didn't have a structure or an idea yet until my son came with the, with the diamond story. Then I said, here we go, a diamond in the rough and start to, yeah, start to work on the how-to version of all my other work. Yeah, I think this is when, when I look at um, and when the, the challenges I see that my clients and, and my CX leaders that follow me, that at, at first they don't start with culture. Uh, often that's not where the customer-centric mm -hmm. uh, transformation starts. They start with strategy or they start with listening to customers and we use the, the CX framework of the CXBA. Uh, they work on their design methodologies, either it's customer journey mapping or design thing. It doesn't really matter. Um, and then, then suddenly they come to a certain level and then, hmm, culture is not really changing with it. Um, and then this whole question comes about of, so like, how, how are we going to transform culture? And then it suddenly becomes, whoa, this is big. This is like this huge, well, and I look at my time at KPN when I was responsible for CX at KPN, 9,000 employees. Good luck. Good luck. So, yeah. yeah. What, what do you see as the big challenges in culture that they need to address? Well, I think as, as it all starts with the leaders of the organization uh, is, my, is my feeling. And one of the big hurdles that I've seen in, in the past few years is that companies don't become really customer centric because the team doesn't believe the leaders that they mean it. Um, yeah. And it's, it's based on the every yeah, communication of leaders, what, what they do that, that makes you believe or non-believe. I've, I've had it multiple times that I got invited to give a, 
a presentation for a large company because they, it's going to be the year of the customer. Uh, it's going to be the year of the customer. So in January, I get invited to introduce and kick off the year of the customer. So I'm sitting there, CEO or someone from the leadership team gives a presentation before I go on stage. And I'm looking forward to, to hear more about the year of the customer. But they start with sharing all the financial results, all the targets, yeah. all the, the red and green figures in huge Excel sheets. And then after 15 minutes, they say, oh, well, and you know what? We also have this other thing here called the year of what, what was it? Ah, yeah, the year of the customer. And we invited the speaker for that. And then I already know, you know, the, the ship has sailed. Huh? No one believes that leader anymore. He or she clearly showed what really matters. And then as some sort of an entertainment thingy, you have someone that will talk about the customer, but everyone in the room will know, like, this is not the key priority yeah. that we're going to work on. So it's about credibility, really making sure that the team believes you is for me the number one thing to make it happen. That is, that is right away we're diving, well, diving into the issue right away. Like what I see is that many CX leaders are not the CEO or they're not in the C-suite or in the board True. or they are often like two tiers down when you look at the pyramid system. So yeah. their director might be in the board or maybe not even. And then they yeah. are hired to do a job. They're maybe responsible for NPS or for CSAT or for custom effort score or for, I don't know. How do you, what, what suggestions do you have to get buy-in? Because I think it is crucial. I know that we had uh, Jean Bliss with the Dutch CXPA and she said, no buy-in from the top, I'm out. And that was very, that was a very fierce way of saying, I'm not going to do any customer-centric transformation if the board is not in. What are your suggestions for those CX leaders that are listening if you don't have that support, that credibility of the leadership? How can you go about Yeah. Well, you know, CX, being CX director or manager in a, in a company can be a really fun job and it can be a very lonely, frustrating job. It's, yeah. it's one of the two. Um, yeah. You know, some of them are on an island, they're just reporting some data and then they give some recommendations and then they have zero influence if people will actually act upon them or not, they have to fight to get some attention, to get some budget and to make some things happen. So that is like the, the most terrible job you can be in, in my opinion. You, you love your customers yeah. and you have the feeling that you're, that you don't have any, anything to say. The CX leaders who are successful have, um, buy-in from the top management. I think without buy-in from your CEO, it's, it's very difficult to really make a, make a change. I think CX leaders, um, that are successful have a network of internal people that support that cause and that work together to see how they can implement certain changes, how they can facilitate it, how they can be a help so that they actually also not just listen to customers, but that they're part of the solution, part of the implementation, and that they have a role that goes beyond advisory and reporting. And yeah. that is what you need to have. And, uh, and I fully agree. If, if you don't, if you're not in that situation, it will always be the most frustrating job in the company. Yeah, because and nobody's at, at against, point, yeah. nobody's against being customer-centric. No, no yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. The only thing is when some other things are more important, even, yeah, even Christmas drinks are more important then. So, yeah, which yeah. I understand that it's time of year, but I think it's very <laughs> interesting. Yeah. But it's also what I see and maybe... Um, I don't know if you recognize it, but what I also see is that many CX leaders sometimes take for granted that their 
CEO is not supportive. And I'm like, but when was the last time you had a conversation with her or him? And they're like, yeah, that was like two years ago. And I'm like, have you been on the board? Have you ha- have you challenged? Have you, for example, invited Steven and created some budget to have to have like put authority there and and then lead the, the the conversation so you at least challenge the status quo? And they're often looking at me like, yeah, that might be a good idea. They're also a little mm-hmm. bit chicken then, so not the one that are in the mm-hmm. lead because you you see them right away. Yeah. Those are the ones that are moving. They have the budget. They go, but there's many that are struggling and I really want to help them, uh, but also give them a little bit, yeah, I call it spice up your leadership. Could also say a little kick in the butt. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's a, that's a very good analysis and you know, it's, it's, it's a choice. Huh? You, you, it's, it's not all happening to you. I mean, you, even if you're in a, in a shitty situation where you don't have any support, you can take control of things. You can decide to yeah. go to a different company. You can decide to, you know, go in for a fight and prove that that you have some really important yeah. insights that could bring some real value to the table. I also think that a lot of in the corporate world, very often importance is linked to budget, right? How much budget do you have? And a yeah. lot of the conversations are about budget at the end of the day. You know, I, if you're in a company that doesn't believe in investing in customer experience, it means that they do not want to I'll set aside budget for yep. that. So then your challenge is to figure out a way how to increase your customer experience, your customer centricity without extra time of the team, without extra money, yep. but you look for 50 or 100 quick fixes, some, you know, the, the low hanging fruits and, and you start doing that. And your goal is not the big thing, not a new CRM system, not five people in your team. Your goal is to deliver and improve the quality with 50 small things that you change. And then you put a spotlight on that and you say, look what I've done. We improved this without budget, without extra resources. Imagine what I can do if you give me a little bit more support. I love but you this. can Very decide practical. that yourself. Yeah. 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 But I also think a lot of them are not even, well, joining the fight for the budget. They think like, well, didn't get it last year. There we go. So um, mm-hmm. I always say I put a little bit bigger pants on and, uh, and, and get out there. So because, yeah. It, yeah, so but I think that's, that's an interesting, you, when I look in your book, when I read your book, um, you emphasize the importance of customer experience. And I, we, of course, for us, we don't have to have that conversation because we understand and we see that the winners are there. What do you think is the common, mm-hmm. most common misconception businesses have about customer experience? I think that very often, and it's a question I often get, and I, I wonder if, if you have the same things that pop up. That a lot of business leaders instantly think, oh, we have to improve customer satisfaction. It's going to cost a ton of money. We're going to need 100 additional people to make it happen. Whereas it is my belief that every organization, if they want, and if they are open-minded, they can, as from tomorrow, deliver a better quality, better communications, better uh, satisfaction creation for their customers without extra budget. I think sometimes that you can even increase your customer satisfaction and uh, save time internally by doing so. Yeah. I think they go hand in hand. It's not always we need to invest millions. No, just think what you can do different that improves the quality of your customers. Yeah, and that's a big a misconception. Large, yeah. It's always linked to budget. Yeah, I agree. It, it is. And, and it's also, um, we, we already tried. We already tried, yeah. didn't work. 
So yeah, and then and then people within the, the organization, um, especially when you one of the things you're talking about is is the front line. And uh, I was at, at a large insurance company last weeks, and one of the things I saw is that the, the people in the in in the uh, at the contact center, you know what they called their, themselves? No, we are the plankton of. I don't know if plankton is the right English word, but um, I think so. Yeah. The, yeah. We are the plankton of the organization. And I'm like, wow, holy cow. That is, that and, is the lowest. And what did the they lowest. mean with that? What was really, that was, was. They felt that the only thing they were there were being eaten by the whales. They had no, they were just there hanging in the water, having no, wow. they had to do the work. So they had to be there because otherwise the whales could not live. But in the end, they were just plankton. Wow, like, that is oh super sad. Yes, I also felt so, so bad. And when I had conversations with them on what to, what could you do, they were just, yeah, I don't know if it's, but in, in the Netherlands, we call it aangeleerd hulpeloos or, or taught helpless. I don't know, created the helpless. And in many organizations, we see that in the front line where people are just like tired. They've tried it before. They're not enabled. And of course, you talk about that in, in your book. But let's... I think the it costs money. I think it's also interesting. People want to know what can we save before they even start. So the business case has to be made. I think it, it's a result. Uh, it's not. It should not be the meaning of it. So a better customer experience is cheaper because I don't want to call any organization. Please help me online. Um, I just have, um, for example, I have a meal box right now. Um, I'll, mm -hmm. I can it's a HelloFresh. And uh, um, when they they miss ingredients, you can do that in the app and you could just say the ingredient is missing or whatever. But I had now that a whole menu was so weird that I wanted to put that in. And then apparently that did not fit in their processes. So I had to go through the chat. And then the chat, I was hanging 20 minutes. And then, and then I thought, can I call you? No, no, we don't. And it was such a bad experience. So just make it easy. If you just mm -hmm. forget your stuff, make it easy for me to put it online. Make it convenient. Yeah, don't waste my time. I don't want to hang 20 minutes because you have your, you, you don't have your process in order. Exactly. Time is our scarcest resource yeah. as a customer. Yeah. So and that's respectful for the time of customers. More. This costs, yeah, costs so much more. more. So, but looking at your book because i think it is uh, it's one of your new masterpieces what i think there's also, there's many books out there um where your diamond in the rough approach yeah, and the concept of of cx culture where is it different from others well, i i i don't see that many really practical management books out there um including my five others uh, most management books are Super interesting, uh, new models, new theories, looking forward, stuff to think about, uh, important things. Yep. But very often you're always stuck with that how-to question. And I think this is the most practical book I have ever written, but I haven't yep. seen that many super practical books myself. I, I get messages every day from managers who bought it and read it that say, well, this is the first real management book that I, I got from you where I can score points with in my organization instantly. Yep. And that, that was my goal. I want to show people how to do it differently as from tomorrow without having to ask permission, without investing more, just making a difference. I, I, and, I like and that. Clearly, I this is something very, people like. Yeah? yeah, It is very practical, not just the book with the tips, but also your workbook that comes with it. 
Um, I think it's 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 a how-to book, and I like how-to books. When I look at the Sikhs travel guide we wrote, and my Sikhs is a pilgrimage. Yep. I'm, I'm always I cannot be anything but practical, so it's it's ingrained in me. Um, yeah, you're I'm, very I'm good at it. I think that's your strength and yep. why companies like yep. you so much. Huh? You're yeah, super good in making things practical. Yeah, and what I like is you as the authority also using this. And when I look at one of the things, uh, one of the things that um, that CX leaders are struggling with is uh, where should I start to, to reshape CX culture? And uh, because there's so much to do, you can put the whole book and there's many tips. Where do you think, what are suggestions to start? Can I give two? Please. Can I give two uh, suggestions? Yeah, I was just in Asia. First of all, all, I think it's very valuable that as many people from the organization as possible get closer to the customer in in any possible way. It's like at, at DoorDash, the food delivery company, every employee needs to do food deliveries at least once a month. You have companies where at least once a month you have to spend time in the contact center. You have retailers where you have to go to the stores for, you know, uh, to to feel the market. If you work in a theme park that you work one day in a hamburger stand in the theme park, those kind of things that whatever your job is, that they bring you closer. And if if that is impossible to bring everyone closer, make sure the feedback from customers is visualized in a personal way that it's not just an NPS score of plus 20. I mean, that's cool for leadership no. people and CX people, but 90% of the people in the organization are like, NP what? I mean, I they, they don't care at all. Huh? So no. make it cool, make it fun, make it emotional. So make sure that people hear the oohs and the ahs from the customer directly. That is, that is one thing. Second thing is uh, try to become friction hunters in your organization. And friction hunters is a very simple concept that, that works fantastically is my experience. A friction hunter is someone with an eye for detail who looks for small things with an emphasis on small, small things that, you know, where you waste the time of your customers, where you make it too difficult, where you make it too complex uh, for no reason. And friction yeah. hunters can identify those small frictions and know that with a small effort, that's the definition of a friction, with small efforts, we can remove that friction. And everyone in an organization can be a friction hunter. It's just looking at your own stuff, talking with people, and then saying, you know, that small part of the invoicing process, maybe we should change that. Friction hunting is not the invoicing process is wrong. No, friction hunting is within the invoicing process. You look for the two or three things that you can change and that create frustrations and that, you know, if you remove those, we're a step closer to happier customers. Become friction hunters. Yeah. So... Two strategies to start with. First, uh, get the customer closer to those in the organization, whether it's with mm-hmm. quotes, verbatim videos, uh, but much better even. That's because we always say that's what gets you extrinsic motivated, but intrinsic motivated. Get together with customers, um, listen in. Mm-hmm. What I love um, at Central Beheer, you also mentioned one of them, they have their uh, little bumps days if, i don't know how to say it in english but uh the kleine deukjes dagen so as a as a yeah. customer dent days little dent little dent um and then they um they become friction hunters themselves that's <laughs> that's funny but that's where you as a customer can come in with your car and they get all the little dents out but also leaders love to come there so i think find those events where you and i fully agree um uh, and verbatim sharing is is like the light version even um 
and then then yeah become a friction hunter one of my um leadership uh, masterminds they followed your and they created every i think every two months they have friction friday and then with oh, the whole really? team they go friction hunting and i, I like that concept i love they, that i love that yeah. who is that who does that I'll share. Who I don't know that? if I can share on the podcast, but I'll. Um, uh, I don't know if she wants that, but okay. I'll, I'll let I'll let you know um, on the outside. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that, that. that's I very that. I th- I friction it was Fridays. Smart. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So absolutely. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. Um, so that's a good place to start. And also, one of the things we see um, in the how is uh, it's not only for the CX leaders themselves, but also for customer-centric leadership, because I think that are two different uh, domains. And we talk a lot about storytelling. And one of the things I see is that CX leaders are not really great in storytelling. So I always say that when your presentation or your CX strategy is corporate smorporate, mm, I don't know. So we need some elements of that storytelling in there. Um, do you have an example of in, in, in your book, in Diamond in the Rough, where storytelling significantly impacted the customer's uh, yeah, the, the culture. Well, I, I know this this uh, CEO. His name is Ignaz van Doerschlaar. He's a Belgian guy. He used to be CEO of AB InBev in the Netherlands, yeah. uh, Van der Velde, which is like a premium yeah. uh, female fashion company. Um, he used to be CEO of Neuhaus as well, the premium Belgian chocolates. So a super interesting guy. He is one of the best CEO storytellers I know. He's obsessed with customer experience. But he, yeah. he uses metaphors the entire time. So he, for instance, in, within his team, he tells them, if you have five domino bricks and you push the first one, the goal is that all five fall, right? That's the goal of, of yeah. putting dominoes out there. If four of the five fall, what is the impact that we have on the market? Most people say, oh, 80%. We did an 80% job because four of the five fell. He says, no, you have 0% impact because it's only the last domino that touches the market where you have an impact. So he says, well, if, if you guys want to stay busy here and make PowerPoints and Excel sheets all the time for nine months and argue about that and then another three months, that's not the last domino. So that means that you're, you're going to be paid for keeping yourself busy with zero impact on the market. Always ask yourself, are we touching the last domino that actually reaches the customer? Those kind of Love metaphors is, is something yeah. that works well. In that, in that company, everyone talks about, yeah, but guys, are we, are we reaching the last domino here or not? And, and he does that with everything. Eh? This is one example. Yeah. But what I like about him is he also had Friction Fridays, but they called differently, but the same principle. Yeah. And at a certain moment, he noticed that they got stuck somewhere in the organization so that a lot of people had the intention to do things, but there was always someone blocking it somewhere. He said, we need to solve this. So he created a customer council where all the important people from his organization were part of, of the customer council, eight to 10 people. And he was chairing it as CEO. And it was a very simple concept. So uh, they treat three projects at the same time. So three frictions that get stuck. And the goal is to solve that friction by the next meeting, which is six months later, uh, six weeks, sorry, six weeks later. And sometimes they succeed in that. If not, they continue and they will try again. And if one of the three is solved, they add a new friction to that meeting until, you know, they keep going. And he's been doing this now for uh, for seven years, seven years. Every six weeks, a customer council chaired by Ineos, the CEO, our storyteller with customer culture. 
And he says, you know, I let them talk, and but now and then I have to make a decision because otherwise they fight, and, and that's the reason that we get stuck. And then I decide what to do, but we remove the friction. He is, for me, an, an example of someone when he arrives in a company, if you go back three years later, they are extremely you know, customer-centric just because of his storytelling, his his micro-communication, his micro-decisions that are always yep. in favor of the customers, that are always long-term thinking. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. He he, he, they, he changed customer loyalty at uh, Neuhaus. Like, you know, I, I don't know what your opinion is, Nika. But loyalty is usually too, loyalty is usually too transactional, right? You have to buy a lot of yeah. stuff and then you get something back. Yeah. He changed that. He says we're going to give stuff away for free, and we we yeah. sell chocolates. I mean, so we're going to give chocolates away to our customers ten times a year. Everyone, as as soon as you bought one thing, you get free chocolates from us. If you if you make a business case out of this, they have five hundred thousand clients. He wanted to give 10 times a year, two chocolates to each of those clients. So we're talking about 10 million free chocolates, which is like a factory on its own to give away. So that, that wouldn't work. But they know that not everyone picks up the chocolates. And the hypothesis was that if you get free chocolates, because there's no strings attached, you don't need to buy anything. You just pick them up in the store. But the hypothesis was if we give to our customers, they will reward us with their loyalty. And if they need chocolates, they will buy from us. And if you look at the, the growth line of their company, since the moment they started to give things away for free, it is insane how successful yeah. they were. Because 75% of the people who get something for free actually walk out the door with stuff that they purchased yeah. that they wouldn't buy otherwise. You know, no, but I, it's I can also keep on going, yeah, but it's, those stories yeah, are fantastic. I, 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 love, I love a couple of elements from the story, but what I also really admire, and you... I think the, the storytelling, I, I like the counsel, but what I also love is the example that you give that then he makes the decision. What I see a lot is that there are no decisions made. So um, at many of these tables, when you look at these boards, mm-hmm. uh, there sure. are no easy decisions anymore. So because if it would, would have been easy, it would have been solved in two tiers down or wherever. So it comes to the table. And then the only thing people ask more information, more PowerPoints, more reports, more whatevers. But the only thing they need is to do risk management or purpose management and make a decision. Because otherwise people in the organization are waiting for decisions. And so many people in organization are waiting and customers are waiting. When I look at contact centers, yeah, there need to be more decisions made. What I look at customer-centric leaders, they need to be storytellers. They need to be decision makers. And they need to show example behavior where they interact with customers yeah. because if they don't, but I, yeah, I'm, I love I'm, that I'm idea. To... And I think you're, you're absolutely right. That the, very often a decision is always postponed for more information. Yeah. It's not yeah. having the guts to yeah. make it, make a call and to decide. Yeah. And then we think, oh, we're smart. If we look for more information, it's like we're playing manager, oh, give just... me more data. We're just, no, make a decision. Just You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. In the Dutch, we say yeah, it's bang a very good words. analysis. Yeah, and then, um, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. So we we need some more, I think, braveness. And one of the quotes, one of my heroes in customer centricity is also Richard Branson. He says, um, "If your senior leaders don't get it, even the strongest links further down the line can become compromised." And I, I believe that because you need to show mm-hmm. that example behavior, and your example is is um, is incredible. I think. Um, I think also 
In the book, you talk about measuring the success of a transformed CX culture. Uh, what metrics or indicators do you recommend organization and CX leaders to focus on to, to track progress? Because I like that. It's a business. Um, so we like to track progress a little bit. Yeah, true. Well, in all honesty, I, I don't think it matters what kind of KPI you use. Um, can be NPS, can be CSAT, can be anything else. Uh, customer effort score, you know, all the all the big hits there, the the, the well-known, the usual suspects. I think the key is how you deal with it and what you do with it. What I've seen is that most companies are good in collecting data. It's a typical project that you start with. You collect your NPS and, and you see what you learn from that. It's the next phase that really matters. How will you use it? How will you transform your company with the insights that you get? And again, I think to your point, Nika, I think most of the time we don't take decisions what we're going to do with the NPS data. We, we make reports on what the trends yeah. are and what the conclusions yeah. are. But the, the, the art of you know keeping it small is something that a lot of corporations miss. If you get feedback, very often there are small, tiny things in there. Yep. Again, frictions, small ideas that you could work with the other day. The next day, you don't need to ask permission. You don't need to make a report, yep. but you can really make a change for that customer. So I'm, I'm, I think that the, re, the really impact or the impact can really be found when you combine the feedback loops with the action loops. And if you keep both short, then you can really make a difference. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that we always say in our in, in our masterclass is, if you create a report without a call to action, mm-hmm. I, I think that report is is worthless because if you need to, yeah, other people is. don't understand what what's in your report. You need to tell them what to do or what to decide on, and that's also where we need to be more leaders instead of just advisors. Uh, uh, we need to lead the way and. Yeah, we all, we always think that the leaders in the top know, but I found out they also don't know. So we need to help them a little bit out. Yeah, and most people are open for advice from an expert. So if yeah. you are the person responsible for the data, you know the customer yeah. best because of your role, you are make sure they see you as an expert and, and show them the value that you can provide. So this is what we learned. This is what yeah. I suggest we do. This is how I, uh, I advise you to move forward. And there's a big chance looking, that yeah. you will have some wins. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at like you, you already gave two pieces of advice, also for, especially for, for leaders to become more customer centric. But when you look at CX leaders, I, I want to go and we're, we're almost going to the end of the interview. You, you said you need to get closer to the company to do, to do to be there in DoorDash example that you gave. You said try to become friction hunters. What is another practical tip? that um, CX leaders can do themselves to, to when it comes to cultural change? I, I think the, the first thing you could do is do like a, a short audit of all communication of your company, all letters, the invoices, the stuff you throw online, the website, every, every communication outing and ask yourself, can we make this more appealing? Can we make this more positive? Can we change this? There are a lot of companies, um, for instance, that send invoices automatically to customers, if you're in B2B, for instance. Huh? Yeah. And most no one no one usually knows in an organization what that email looks like. I often get emails from companies that are fun to work with, but their their invoice is like, whoa, very cold, very distant. Yeah. It's not because hey, it's, it's an invoice that it's even. <laughs> yeah, that you're like, woo, yeah, I will pay guys. Don't worry, don't yeah. worry, I will pay. So you can make that more fun. You can make that more engaging into the style of your organization. And I think as a CX leader, if you look at those things and you start to recommend how they could change it. It's a zero cost thing. Right? You just need to change yeah. it. 
you can you can make a difference in a few weeks' time and show your value again. Yeah. Well, I think that is that is really great. Now we're going to go a little bit more to you as a person, because I ask two questions okay. to everybody in the podcast. What what is a, okay. a habit that you developed and practiced that really delivered, like CX results or entrepreneurial results? Okay, um, I think my content production, as we discussed in the beginning, I'm, I, yeah. I think I'm really disciplined there. But also uh, communicating. If you send me a message on social media, there is a 99% chance that I will reply. I sometimes miss things if it's too much of, or if I'm on a holiday or something like this. But yeah. I, I have the intention to answer to everyone who sends a request. Also, if the answer is no, I will try to share and see if I can help. Plus, I made a promise to myself that if I get a question from a customer in my email box, I will always send a reply within the first 24 hours after I reached reached uh, after I received that that email and people wow. seem to appreciate that yeah very very that is something that oh I I must say I always people say whoa you you even you answered me on LinkedIn or stuff but I must say on my email especially in these busy weeks I've not been 24 hours so that's a good that's a good point and then yeah it's something strange I have yeah. this need for need for closure thing that if if something is open I get super nervous about okay, that yeah. even a closet eh? if a closet is open i cannot handle that a closet is open so an unanswered okay. email i will never have that before i go to bed never well then uh, you have it's something that my thing, husband yeah. has too you know that my husband <laughs> is one of the biggest fans of your books right so uh really uh, oh, yes nice. he yeah, read them he all me. and he just has them <laughs> they're still on the um, uh, on his uh, kitchen table and uh, he just, uh, uh, yeah, he refers to it. Oh, and people absolutely. say when they come visit, uh, who's uh, this David van Belgen? We don't know him. And I'm like, yeah, but then, <laughs> then he says, yeah, but he's like more a business from Ninka, but he's a really good fiction writer. So he just, he's <laughs> like, I think you're super promoter. Uh, uh, that's, yeah. I'm super happy with that. That's my yeah, baby yeah. project, uh, the three thrillers. So thank you. Thank you. Well, and the other baby project for the people that are watching this video, uh, Steven is wearing. So uh, you have another project. <laughs> Project where you have he's the smart businessman shine bright like a diamond right so you have merch yeah not just the book I have merch you have merch <laughs> yeah my it was so. I work together with my wife uh, we we run our our small company together and and she had the idea to come up with with merch linked to the books and CX so I have a couple of t-shirts some hoodies and in the beginning I thought I mean are people gonna buy this. Uh, but Ninka, they actually do. We've sold hundreds of t-shirts and hoodies so far and people show up at presentations in my t-shirt. So yeah, I'm, I'm super happy with that. People wear it on a, on a, you know, when there's a team building or they want to give a gift to someone who did something extraordinary in terms of customer experience. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's I love fun. it. So we're going to put the links in the show notes and then the last one, <laughs> just top it all yes. off. Like, because of course your book and I'm a fan, so I think all the listeners should get it if they are interested in culture and interesting in, in the concept. But what book, podcast, or video do you recommend listeners to spend time on to spice up their leadership? Well, if, if you're looking for practical tips and, and ideas, I, I always like the content of Shep Hyken. I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with, uh, with Shep. Yeah, yeah. I, I worked together with him several times, and Shep, Shep is like a customer service guru from, from the yeah. US. He lives in St. Louis. Super friendly man. Uh, I, I love working with him. I love his work. And he's very down to earth, very practical. Like in 2024, he's going to start with a TikTok series together with 
uh, Brittany, also a CX uh, lady yeah. in, in the US. And every week they're going to share a customer service tip for 20, uh, 52 videos in uh, 2024. So I would recommend to go to Shep's TikTok account, follow him, him there. His Instagram is also really interesting. His podcasts yeah. are good. So I'm a, I'm a fan of his work. I, I would recommend. I'm also him. a fan. I was at the uh, Kuala Lumpur at the CX Summit. He was the speaker on the, the keynote on the Wednesday and I was the one on the Thursday. So oh, yeah. Look, yeah, they got two of these yeah. uh, CX professionals out there. Well, Stephen, thank That's you fantastic. so much for sharing your brilliance of uh, uh, the diamond in the rough. Um, I think it was a very, very good conversation. I got some uh, interesting elements too. And um yeah, I think now it's time for some some holidays for you, right? It is. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And thank you for for having me, Ninke. Thank you for yeah. the attention that you give my work. And it's it's always a pleasure to talk to you. You're welcome. See you soon. <laughs> See you soon, Ninke. Bye bye. You've been listening to CX Leadership Talks. Ninka is a customer experience speaker and educator. She has written books and spoken and educated leaders all around the world. She's one of the global thought leaders in the field. We hope you've enjoyed this show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, you can also find us on YouTube and LinkedIn and ninkabloom.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And we'll see you next time on CX Leadership Talks.